The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. got our eyes on the enemy here at Bleeding Green Nation, and this is an extra episode on the Washington Redskins, brought to you by the five folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. that's K-I-S-T, and of course, make sure you're subscribed to this feed on whatever app you're using, and also following along on Twitter at BGN underscore radio. So on the Kist and Solak show 99, we had our second installment of the Eye on the Enemy series, which was focused on the Washington Redskins and their outlook heading into 2019. We had some questions that we felt could be answered better by somebody that we trust that covers the team. So what I did was I had a conversation with Mark Bullock of The Athletic DC. You might remember him as he's been on this feed before. I really enjoyed talking with Mark before the Eagles and Redskins play as he's one of the better X and O guys you'll find out there. So make sure you're following Mark on Twitter at Mark Bullock NFL. That's B-U-L-L-O-C-K. And enjoy our discussion about the Redskins as they enter the 2019 NFL season. Mark, brother, it's been a long time. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm doing quite well. And before we get started, Mark, could you let the gentle listeners know where they can find you and all of your excellent work? Uh, sure. Uh, if they uh, would like to see me on Twitter, I'm at MarkBookNFL. If you want to see my work, it's on the Athletic. A lot of great stuff on there. So as I talked about in the intro, every year, me and Benjamin Solak do a series called The uh, Eye on the Enemy, where we break down how the Eagles, NFC East rivals, and other top contenders look coming into the season. And with the Redskins, we had some key question marks and concerns that hopefully you can help us expand on. So first up, I wanted to talk about the Trent Williams situation, which if Jason Lockenfora is to be believed, it is blowing up into Williams not wanting to play for the Redskins anymore over differences with the medical staff and so on. Now, I always take anything Lockenfora says with like a metric ton of salt, but <laughs> yeah. what what do we know now about what's going on with Williams and his future with the Redskins? Initially, everyone thought it was he wants a new contract and he, he turns 31 this summer, so it's kind of his last chance to get probably a, a one final big payday. Mm. When, when he was given his last big contract, um, he was the highest paid tackle in the league, but that was a few years ago, and he's now since been dwarfed by tackles that simply aren't as good as him. I agree. I can understand why he, he wants to be better compensated. I'm not sure how much I buy that Lackenfora report. I don't know. <laughs> I, I Personally, I, I haven't had the experience with Lackenfora saying that I'm not saying his sources are bad or whatever, but 
I've, I've not really seen anyone else in the local area report the same thing. Right. There's been different reports from and, and different quotes from players. Um, Adrian Peterson, who's very close to them, they both went to Oklahoma together. Peterson says he's never heard anything like that from Trent Williams, and, and, and Trent's never conveyed that to him. On the other hand, Morgan Moses came out and said um, it's good to see someone standing up for the players and how the medical staffs are kind of put under pressure by teams to get their guys ready to play rather than necessarily what's best for the health of the player. Mm. But I, I, I can kind of see how that might have been more of Moses making a general point based off of a report rather than having talked to Trent Williams himself and sort of verifying what he said. So Yeah, and that in itself has credibility because the Redskins over the last five years, I've talked about it a lot recently, have been one of the most banged up teams in the NFL. So I could certainly see that as a concern for Williams without necessarily taking it to that like sort of demand. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, they, they've been just decimated by injuries, especially on the offensive line. Like, And, and you can see like the guys like Trent yeah. Williams and Morgan Moses that we just mentioned they both have played through a heavy amount of injuries the past few seasons you can definitely see and like the the overall point i completely would understand and, and like the concern is with with what trent williams went through during the off season he had quite a significant scare like it, it wasn't any sort of minor thing it was he feels or the report is he felt that he was misdiagnosed with a brain tumor Ooh. that effectively he he had surgery to remove i believe it was effectively a surgery to remove a brain tumor now i don't know how serious that is uh, and I'm not 100% sure exactly how accurate it is. It's been kind of mentioned a few times, but it seems to be something that people don't want to talk a great deal about, um, yeah. which understandably, you know, it's a private matter. But the anger seems to stem from that. And, and like if we were to have a, a brain tumor that like our team didn't diagnose correctly, we'd be in the same situation. We'd be pretty pissed off and we'd be we'd be mad. So like yeah. I can see why Trent Williams would be like that. But the overall feel from sort of the beat guys um, and the people around the team is that it's more contract related. And I, I think the majority of people expect that he'll be there week one, potentially with just a slightly bigger contract. And that's that's good for Williams. I, you know, that, I'm a big fan of his. So that would be a big loss for the Redskins if he were not on the team to start the season. What is the plan if Williams is not on the team now that, especially now that Ty Niseki is with the Buffalo Bills, is there the sort of a succession in place there with maybe <laughs> Garant Christian or like what's going on? There? I don't think there is a plan. Um, <laughs> like they did draft Jerome Christian last year to as kind of a developmental project. They they felt like he was a really good athlete for the position, and because he played both right and left tackle at Louisville, and there was times when they would switch him like on drives, like mm. in between drives, they'd switch in between yeah. right and left tackles. So like they felt like he could be a backup swing tackle and they could develop him over time. But he does not have functional play strength at the NFL level just yet. Right. And when he had his chance last year before he got injured, he was just getting bulldozed by just about every defensive end he came up against. So he is not ready. Um, and he's still recovering from his, I think it was an ACL that he had last year. So I, I don't think he'll be developed this year or ready to take over. Um, Eric Flowers is currently the guy taking the practice reps at left tackle. He was brought in to be a guard, correct? Yes, he was brought in to, to have a competition at left guard to see if he can become the starting left guard. But because they've had so many injuries at tackle, they've literally had no one to play the spot. <laughs> Flowers has been kicked out there. And from what the beat guys say, and, and generally the beat, in DC, they're they're pretty nice to players when when they're not good. They'll say, "Oh, he didn't have the best of days," or <laughs> what have you. But the beat guys have just said he's been outright horrible. Um, when they're criticizing a player like that, you know he's not doing well at all. So 
they they would be very much struggling if Trent Williams didn't come back and and I think that gives Trent some more leverage with regards to his the timing of his sort of holdout and looking for a bigger contract. Yeah, definitely. Keeping it on the offensive side of the ball, let's talk about the quarterback position. Who do you anticipate being the starter for week one of the 2019 NFL season between Dwayne Haskins, Case Keenum, and possibly even Colt McCoy? Personally, I would imagine it would be Haskins. Um, I, mm. I, I would think that's the way they would go. The only reason they wouldn't is if they feel he's not ready yet. Um, and you, you could see sort of a similar to what we've seen with Baker Mayfield situation where right. Keenum starts the first four or five weeks and then if they need a spark then Haskins comes in but I would I would think certainly by the end of the season Haskins is the guy uh, and my guess is he would be the guy going into week one as well. You wrote an excellent article for The Athletic about the schematic similarities from Haskins offense at Ohio State and the Gruden offense for the Redskins. Can you expand on the aspects that Haskins will be comfortable with from day one in the NFL due to his experience with them at the collegiate level? Ohio State offense was run by Ryan Day, who, who spent time on Chip Kelly's staff in San mm-hmm. Francisco. Uh, and the Redskins offensive coordinator, Kevin O'Connell, also spent time on that staff. You know, they're both known to be good friends. And so they both have similar aspects to their offense. And Kevin O'Connell, while he's the offensive coordinator, it's still Gruden's scheme, but he's having a pretty significant impact on it. We see a fair few of this concepts carry over. And in the piece that you mentioned that I wrote about, there there was things like the mesh concepts, there was basic West Coast on- concepts like spacing and the arrow concept and, and that kind of thing. That spot. And, spot, yeah. exactly. All of that carries over. You see like the vast majority of the plays he ran carried over. Um, I, I think conceptually, it won't be difficult for Haskins to grasp it at all. Um, you, you listen to him talk and any time building up to the draft, you saw any of him breaking down his own film or talking or through plays on the whiteboards and stuff. He was phenomenal at that type of thing. So I don't think he'll have many issues with the concepts. Um, the issues he might have is with the getting to the longer plays, mm. it, the play calls themselves. So yeah. in college, they ran mostly stuff that was very basic terminology, sort of one, two word play calls, whereas Gruden's offense, John Gruden is known as a guy that has very long play calls. Jay Gruden sort of shortens a lot of it. They can still have quite a lot of play calls, especially as as Jay Gruden will like to call two different plays in the huddle and and have one as a backup option. So, you know, it it can be quite wordy. um, And that's something that any young quarterback will take a while to get used to, um, especially a guy like Haskins, who comes from Ohio State and they did not have that kind of wordy offense Um, so he'll take a while to get used to the vocabulary of the offense if you will but I think conceptually he should be fine yeah I think if you compartmentalize those those two things I don't think he's going to have an issue with the mental processing aspect of the actual you know plays in action that was a strength for his like you said him on the blackboard he was he was killing it so uh, he should be fine in that regards the other things that obviously are the question marks Uh, now me and Ben kind of disagreed on something on this with the the aggressiveness of Gruden's offense. I thought that when Smith was healthy and even after he went down, that despite, you know, the results or the, the yards per attempt, that Gruden was pretty aggressive trying to dial up vertical concepts, especially even when we saw Colt McCoy in there. I was I was surprised with that leading into the Eagles game. Ben saw more of a conservative, horizontally stretching offense. Where does the truth lie in all of that? How aggressive is that Gruden offense? It's as 
as aggressive as the quarterback in place yeah, is. That's kind of what I said too. Like sometimes the quarterback will hold them back. Yeah. Um, so Gruden naturally is an aggressive offensive mind. He likes to take shots down the fields. He likes to build in ways to attack deep. You'll see quite a lot of the concepts that they draw up, even when they're shorter underneath stuff or intermediate routes, they'll have alerts to deeper shots. And mm. if they get the right look, one of their favorite plays, uh, they, which they call Bill's Pass, from a Bill Walsh concept from years ago, it, it's more of a middle triangle play, which is a basic West Coast offense thing. But they have a deep corner from the tight end, which can be an alert versus cover two. And then they have a deep post on the backside, which is an alert against quarters. So if they get pre-snap, they see um, the look that they like, they can go to that read first. Yeah. But otherwise, the built-in read is a much more basic middle triangle, one, two, three progression. So Gruden loves to build in those deep shots into the plays. It would largely depend on the quarterback and as you say like when Colt McCoy came in he's a much more aggressive quarterback there's a reason why Gruden likes Colt McCoy and it's because Colt McCoy likes to take those shots and and take the opportunities so you definitely notice a difference when Colt McCoy came in to compared to when Alex Smith went went in Smith is a much more conservative quarterback and perhaps there were times when Gruden called more conservative plays but there was always options to take shots down the field because Gruden won't build in plays that don't take shots down the field. It would just be more of Smith doesn't want to take the shots or didn't risk it or missed throws from that time to time. So yeah, the, the offense will be aggressive. Um, it will certainly have shots that dialed into plays. It just might ne- not, not necessarily always come up that way based on coverages or probably more based on the quarterback's aggressive nature. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, clearing that up for us. Mark, one of the other major questions that we had about this offense, or rather that something that we agreed upon was a concern, was the lack of explosive playmakers that will scare a defense. Now, we noted that getting Darius Geis back, who I absolutely loved in the draft process, that getting Geis back from what essentially was a redshirt year is a big plus, and that backfield looks excellent. But speaking of redshirts, we said if this offensive line couldn't be dominant enough to make a big difference, that it might essentially be a redshirt year for this team because the offense won't be able to grind out games combined with the questions on defense that we'll, that we'll get to later. But to summarize and, and give you a question you can kind of sink into – Do you think this offense has the firepower to rank in the top half of the league for points per game in 2019, or is this a longer work in progress requiring more patience? I would lean towards the latter. Mm. The thing about the the playmakers and the, the wide receiver core, it's a bunch of guys that you like and you think there's a lot of potential there and you could see one or two of the guys being becoming something very good, but it's still all potential. You've still got to see it actually happen it, they, someone still has to step up it's the kind yeah. of group where i think i said going into the off season you like a lot of the guys and if everyone was moved down a peg so if you had a legit number one receiver and everyone else the then josh Doxon or paul richardson becomes your number two and the other becomes the three and then trey quinn becomes your four then you're looking at a really good group um and that's a lot of the reason why they were linked with guys like antonio brown is then right. you have a number one a clear legit number one receiver and then the other guys make up the rest and and you feel better about that group they lack that guy that can that they say yep he's our number one on on third and four we're going to him and on first and ten we're taking shots to him it, we they, they lack that guy yeah they have a bunch of guys that they like there's a lot to like about the potential but they they don't have until the guys step on the field, like they, they've got young players like um, Cam Sims was someone that 
flashed a lot in preseason last year and then got hurt on the first play of the year and was on IR. Mm-hmm. They like their rookies. Terry McLaurin is someone that I really, really like from when I've, I've studied him. I think he could and probably should be out Josh Doction for the exposition. Yeah. He's someone that I'm excited to see. I think his route running and his speed will will give them an, another explosive threat. Yeah, he's got good size and he's got absolute burners, man. Like, he can go. I was a big fan of his in the pre-draft process. Yeah, absolutely. And he's not just someone that is only a, a go-route runner. He, he can right. run the underneath stuff and he can run over the middle. He's tough. Um, he can make yards after the catch, too. So he's someone that I really like and I think he can become a really good ex-receiver. But, you know, he was a third-round receiver. You don't necessarily expect that to be your number one guy year one. Right. I like... what. Paul Richardson brings to the team, but you know his history in the NFL suggests he's not going to be there for 16 games. And even last year when he played, he was playing hurt um, with a shoulder injury. And you, you like what he brings, but you don't know how much you can rely on him. Trey Quinn in the slot. I, I hated that they let Jameson Crowder go because I, I view Jameson Crowder as one of the best slot receivers in the league. But I also really like what Trey Quinn brings to the team. I think they'll be okay there. But again, Trey Quinn played two games last year and then he got hurt and was lost for the rest of the season too. Mm. And then they, you know, Josh Doxson has, he has always been the kind of, I'll flash one play and then the next play I'll drop a catch I should make. So he, he needs to take the next step. So they, they have guys that they like. They have guys with potential, but at the moment it's all potential. And until one or two of the guys sort of put their hands up and go, I'm going to be the guy, you err on the side of, it's probably a potential group that will take a little bit more time to develop than, than saying that they'll be a, a top 10 offense this year. Yeah, if you're definitely projecting them to the top half of the league, it's a, it's a literal projection for a lot of guys on that offense. Yeah. So there's some questions there. We'll see how they develop. And that's going to do it for the offensive side of the ball. When we come back here on this BGN Radio special with Mark Bullock of The Athletic, we're going to talk about the defense and then give some overall predictions for the Redskins in 2019. That's up next right after this. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back on this BGN radio special, Eye on the Enemy Extra, Redskins edition with Mark Bullock of The Athletic. I'm Michael Kiss. So let's talk about the defense. First half of the show, we talked about offense. We'll go defense now. You wrote that defensive coordinator Greg Minuski could find himself replaced. What happened during the offseason that pointed to that possibility moving forward. The feeling, and this is a personal thought, but the feeling was that if they could find the guy that they felt was better than Minuski that would take the job, they would have given it to him. Mm. They had a lot of changes on the staff. They, they fired or they moved on from their inside linebackers coach. He went to Green Bay. They moved on from their defensive backs coach who went back to college. They managed to keep hold of Jim Tom Sula for the defensive line, um, which was a big hire to keep. Yeah. And large parts of that was because they managed to keep Greg Minuski, or they kept Greg Minuski. But they talked to Todd Bowles. Um, they talked to Greg Williams. You know, They played it coy, and they said, well, we were just interviewing different minds to get some different perspectives. But 
the likes of Todd Bowles and Greg Williams having gone from both being head coaches, albeit Greg Williams was an intermediate head coach, he wasn't like um, full time uh, with the Browns. They, they neither of them were going to take anything less than a defensive coordinator's job. It felt like if they were talking to those guys and one of those guys had said, yeah, I'll take this job, I feel like they probably would have given it to them. Um, the fact that they were talking to them suggests that they're probably willing to move on from Nusky if they felt like someone was better hmm. that, that would actually take the job. And and a large part of that is the someone taking the job. And they sure they have some talent on the defensive side of the ball, but you know there's uncertainty with Jay Gruden going into his sixth year of his contract and has only made the playoffs once. And there's yeah. uncertainty with Bruce Allen and, and the whole front office and how that's all going to play out. So it wasn't exactly the most appealing job. And it would have been Jay Gruden's... <laughs> fourth defensive coordinator since he's been here so i i can see why neither of bowles or greg williams wanted to take the job and then there's the other aspect is of who they actually did hire to replace the linebackers coach and the the defensive backs coach they hired ray, right. ray horton as the defensive backs coach but the, the thought is he will have kind of a passing game coordinator role similar to yeah the name escapes me but the dallas chris richard yes mm. in dallas so I, I i think that's probably what's going to happen at least he'll have a strong input on the passing game um if if he's not the passing game coordinator right they also hired rob ryan for their inside linebackers coach and and those are two well-known sort of names is uh, who have defensive coordinator experience um mm-hmm. And the feeling is is that they have a bunch of different good minds in the defensive meeting room that they'll come together with a plan. The hope is that it won't become a too many cooks spoil the broth situation. But the way I read into it is if they get off to a bad start and with the talent that they have up front, they could potentially use Minuski as like a scapegoat scapegoat for the bad start and 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 you know say john jay gruden's trying to keep his job at the end of the season we needed to make a move and we'll replace Minuski with horton or we'll replace him with rob ryan and those guys will take over the defense for the rest of the year so i i, I could see it if they get off to a bad start especially the defense given what they've spent on defense over the last few years and and the the talent that they have on that defensive front, if that doesn't start off well, if they start the year like they ended last year when they were getting gashed in the run game when they really shouldn't be, right. then I could see Minuski being let go and one of those other two being promoted. Definitely. And w- when me and Ben talked, we had we had another question that we figured you'd be more qualified to uh, to answer for us. A couple, actually, but sticking with one for now. With the way that free safety Monte Nicholson played in 2017, and I thought he was excellent. Why was he not the ingrained starter in 2018? And what's the outlook at that position at free safety in 2019? Yeah, it was an odd one. Um, <laughs> I kind of go back and forth on Nicholson. At, at the draft when he was drafted, I did not like him at all. Um, and then when he played, I absolutely loved him. He has ridiculous range for a safety. There's not many people that you can put up there in the Earl Thomas category of range. And I don't necessarily think he has earl thomas's level of range because earl thomas just an alien well yeah athletically i don't and he think reads it yeah yeah it's it's more the mental aspect that i think earl thomas gets when he can go um whereas right. nicholson he has the athletic ability to get from the middle of the field to the sideline in a flash i i think he could match thomas on that but mm. Thomas obviously could read things and, and know when to go when to go early. Yeah. Um, but yes, so his rookie year, he purely a post safety. They didn't trust him in the box. 
the, his tackling form was suspect. He would always go for the big hits rather than to wrap up. That left him with a few injuries. He would go for big hits and lead with his shoulder, and I think he injured both of his shoulders during his rookie year. So mm. he didn't play too much. And then going into 2018, his second year, they wanted to expand his role. For whatever reason, they, they've not really liked the idea of having a pure post safety and a pure box safety like in that Seahawks mold where right. Earl Thomas was the post safety and Cam Chancellor was the box guy. They've never really liked that. They, they prefer kind of interchangeable safeties, a left and a right safety, and both guys being able to come up and play in the box if the formation... And roll before and after the snap and whatnot. Exactly, yeah. exactly. They, they like those interchangeable guys, and they felt that DJ Swearinger could do that, and he could, so they wanted Monte Nicholson to be able to do that too, and a lot of the kind of pattern matching coverages and, and stuff like that and the different looks they tried to show kind of needed a safety to be interchangeable. Right. Nicholson had a, a much more expanded role when he was purely a post-safety in year one. He was asked to do a lot more in year two. Early on, he had a few issues with that, especially in the run game. Again, his tackling form was questioned, but he was getting better towards the middle of the year. And I, I felt he was doing well in, in the spot, the safety spot with, with Nicholson Swearinger was kind of one of the strengths of the defense, and they were really starting to get going. Yeah. But then I think they felt like a move for HaHa Clinton-Dix was just something too good for them to turn down. Part of I don't want to say it was just because he was another Alabama guy, but it's hard to look past that given the number of Alabama guys they have on that defense. And so I think a large part of it was they wanted some extra veteran leadership on that back end, especially with some of the communication issues they'd had earlier in the season. And so they wanted a veteran guy back guy, uh, veteran guy back there that they could trust you know, has the Alabama backgrounds. They they knew he could be trusted with making calls. They knew he had familiarity with the scheme given the Alabama ties. So I think they just felt like it was a move that they could make and, and, and could upgrade and would, would trust him more on the back end than Nicholson. That move, I don't feel like it worked out very well. It wasn't one <laughs> that he didn't really justify the fourth round pick that they gave up for him. And he started off rough. And I guess most players that, you know, come to a new team midway through the season are going to struggle to set the world alight. Mm. And, you know, towards the end of the season, he did start making a few plays, but at no point did he ever really justify the, the fourth round pick. And he ended up moving on in the off season, which has opened up that free safety spot again for Nicholson. Yeah. Now the question of Nicholson going into this off season he was seen on video getting into a fight and was charged with assault. I believe those charges have now been dropped. So um, there doesn't seem to be anything from the league or the team with regards to any sort of discipline issues. So he has been back practicing with the team um, and you know he's been in the starting free safety spot, largely because there's nothing else there behind him, but mm. also because he does have plenty of talent. So I would say he's probably, to make a long answer short, I'd say he's probably set to be the starting free safety this year and I, I don't see anyone else unseating him from that role unless he were to get injured and they'd have to go find a veteran from during the roster cut downs or something like that yeah I definitely understand that a lot better now thank you for for clearing that up all right Mark this is a, a simpler question is Brian Kerrigan a hall of famer why is the answer yes? Because <laughs> I mean, he's been the model of consistency and durability and only seems to get better year after year. The guy's putting up double-digit double sacks just year after year. He's crazy good. He is very good. Yeah, I go back and forth with Ryan Kerrigan. There are times during the season when Ryan Kerrigan will 
make some phenomenal plays and he'll go on these hot streaks where he'll get two or three sacks. And then there'll be times in the season where you feel like you're not getting anything from him and he's being stonewalled and he's never had the sort of quick burst to really beat a tackle for speed. So he's always had to right. beat a tackle for with technique. And, you know, that's good and that's fine and that makes and he's very good at that and when he gets that long arm or he gets the bull rush and he gets inside he does perfectly good um he's made a very good career for himself um and as you say the at the end of the year you look back at his stats every year he's got double digit sacks and he's as you say the model of consistency there is certainly an argument to be made but there are times when i feel like you're just not quite getting as much out of him as you could as an eagles fan it's hard to see that because he always does like really well against us even though he's going up against you know like lane johnson who's one of the better tackles in the league well he tends to do better against guys that he knows because yeah he's a technique guy so he will Mm. study technique over and over and he'll he'll know the weak points of of as you say lane johnson he'll have faced him twice a year for god knows how many years now so that's a great point he will he's a technique guy that wins with technique so he'll know how to set up rushes and how to beat guys like lane johnson that he sees regularly yeah but it's guys that he doesn't necessarily see as regularly that you feel like he should be able to beat but he doesn't always manage to beat them because maybe he doesn't have the speed to beat them off the edge when you feel like it's a backup left tackle, or backup right tackle, or sometimes he <laughs> plays. He's like, you should be able to beat this guy. You're Ryan Kerrigan, and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't bulldoze them over. Or he doesn't beat them off the edge. Yeah, he can be sometimes frustrating. Every year, there's always the question of, should we move on from Kerrigan, or is should we replace Kerrigan, or should we sort of relegate his role? And that is always a, an absurd question to me because, as you say, <laughs> he is the model of consistency, but. I think the best way to put it is if he's your second best pass rusher, you have a very good pass rush. He's a good, really good Mm. sort of complimentary rusher. But if he's your top guy, he's not quite good enough to be the top guy. He's not a Von Miller. He's not a JJ Watt. He's not someone that will dominate an offense by himself that will cause teams to slide protection his way and really pay attention to him. Especially now he'll get, left one-on-one a fair amount of the time and so i feel like very good yes a, a fantastic career yes hall of fame i'm reluctant to put him in that but I, I i also wouldn't be against it because you know he's he's been a model professional he's been fantastic in he's his numbers speak for themselves and you know he plays just about every snap of every season so yeah um, fantastic player but i I'm reluctant to say yes, definite Hall of Famer. Might take a few more years for that. Once he hits over 100 sacks, which would put him in around the around the top 30 all time, and then if he plays a couple more years after that with some decent production, I think we can have that conversation again. I think he's sure. going to do it. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, and, and a lot of it, like you said, he's he, he might be like a, like a great number two and a good number one. If Montez Sweat really shows up, this is something we said on the Eye on the Enemy show is that. The pass rush being great and being a difference maker probably largely depends on the success of Montez Sweat because we didn't think Ryan Anderson was going to give you that type of juice as a pass rusher. Excellent against the run from what I saw. Uh, would you agree with, with that sentiment? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, Montez Sweat, if if he can... I, I'm not as high on him as a lot of people are coming out of the draft. I, I think he's a better run defender than most people give him credit for. And I think I his pass rush probably needs a little bit more work than most people think. I was I was about in the same boat with you. So yeah, I definitely get you there. Yes. So, I, I, But 
you are right. If if he can develop, like his physical attributes are ridiculous, and and the speeds <laughs> that speed off the edge is something the Redskins haven't had in forever. So if if he can threaten tackles um, with that speed off the edge and and really sort of press home and be the number one rusher and and develop and come along nicely, then yes, I think that sets up the defense to have a very strong year because then. As as we've talked about, Kerrigan becomes your your number two rusher, and he's a very very good number two. Yeah. Yes, I, I think Montez Sweat will likely determine just how good this defense can be, uh, which is a lot of pressure upon him. But um, <laughs> I, I think that's kind of how he does in his rookie year will kind of say how well the Redskins do. All right, Mark. Let's take a big picture view here. The over under for the Redskins wins is at six. That's from a betting site I'm looking at. No free ads. Are you taking the over? Or the under? Oh, it's really tough. I, I kind of, <laughs> I feel ben like... pushed it, <laughs> and I went under. I think I would just take the over. About seven wins? Yeah, seven or eight. I think Jay Gruden schematically will get them to seven or eight wins. Well, he'll get them to at least six wins. I, yeah. I don't see a Gruden team now being a team that will win only like two or three games. I don't. Right, I yeah. don't think his teams will will do that now. I think schematically he's too good. I agree. They have enough talent on the on the team to be to get to six wins. Whether they have enough talent for you know the the difference between a six and ten team and a ten and six team is very tight at times. Yeah, and depends on winning close games and some luck and whatnot. That that all factors in injuries. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and you know, halfway through the season last year, the Redskins were what six and three, seven and three, something like that, and and top yep. of the division. So mm-hmm. I I don't think that they will be a team that lose that only wins three or four four games. I think I think Gruden's too good of a coach for that, and I think the team is too talented for that. Yeah, but if they get smashed by injuries on the offensive line again anything could happen then yeah anything could happen then and then if one or two playmakers step up they could easily turn from a six or seven win team into a nine or ten win team so i I would i would take the over but i would guess it would probably be you know around a average eight and eight team again that's fair that's fair i appreciate those points and me me and ben both uh, were very complimentary of uh, jay gruden as a coach so i definitely get your points there uh ben said that he was quote unquote stuck because of the the ownership and, and Mark, last question, and this is an important one. Do you trust Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen to build the Redskins into a consistent winner? E- no, <laughs> certainly not Bruce Allen. Yeah, I go back and forth on Dan Snyder. Like a lot of people around the league and, and people that know him will say that he is genuinely trying to win and doing his best. And I think Lewis Riddick recently went on John Kimes' podcast and, and said that he spoke to Dan Snyder during the season last year, and he, having previously worked for him, he said he's a different guy now. He, you could see there was genuine desire to make a team that wins. Hmm. Riddick even went as far as to say that he'd be interested in a, a front office role with the Redskins if that were to become available, but that's Ooh. another thing. But I go back and forth on Snyder. Where I don't go back and forth on is Bruce Allen. As a human being, I don't like Bruce Allen. And as a general manager, or as a team president, because technically right. they don't have a general manager, um, I, I despise Bruce Allen. I really don't think he's good for the team. And you know, they, the one thing I can give him credit for is that they've had a lot of talented individuals come through the building. Yeah. And he's able to land a lot of talented individuals. The 
the thing that messes that up is that he then restricts those individuals um, uh-huh. one way or another. Um, and like the obvious one to point to is Scott McLuhan. Yep. And that whole situation was terribly, terribly managed. But they they can point to you can point to a number of different things. You see the guys they get in the building. Like Jay Gruden's a very good coach. Sean McVay was there. He was, and they had an eye on him mm-hmm. early on, and he was great. And you know they they had Mike Shanahan, Carl Shanahan, Sean McVay, Matt Lafleur. All of those guys in the building at one point under Bruce Allen, and that's a great point. They clearly have an eye for what talent is, and then at some point they manage to mess it up and let it go. Because <laughs> you know, being a GM covers so many different aspects. They can be great at one thing, like acquiring coaching talent, recognizing coaching talent, and then fail in other areas, and it just kind of derails the whole thing. Exactly. So I I don't think Bruce Allen will ever lead them to a Super Bowl. They again, they've got more talent in that front office. Carl Smith has run the last two drafts, and and the feeling is they've kind of knocked out of the park the last two drafts. And I agree. And so they have a guy in Carl Smith that I think they could promote to GM, and he could take over. And then you'd feel perhaps they have something there that they can work with. But as long as Bruce Allen's there, as long as he's the one that is controlling how the money is spent he will have the final say and i i just don't trust him to be able to to develop a winning team great points and on that depressing note <laughs> i think we covered it here on the bgn radio special the eye on the enemy extra about the washington redskins with mark bullock mark thank you so much for joining me let the gentle listeners know one more time where they can find you and all your marvelous work yeah uh, so on twitter again it's at mark bullock nfl and on um my work is on the athletic dc awesome thanks again mark cheers, cheers.